Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson in Los Angeles, our Editor-at-Large, who is hoping that she's got some pretty good predictions on our prediction chart because the Oscar votes are in for the contenders, and we're at that pivotal moment now where... I guess there will be a different stage of campaigning taking place by a smaller group of people, but right now, that first phase of campaigning is complete. So, uh, as far as I can tell, even though that's a dramatic new development in uh, the Oscar season, we're still talking about the same movies we've been talking about for a while. That top three of Moonlight, Manchester, and La La Land, it seems unlikely that those three movies are not, uh, you know, going, uh, that anything's going to change in the respect that they're going to get a lot of nominations. But just looking Actually, at... Actually, yeah. there's a movie that's going to get more nominations than Manchester and Moonlight. Lay it on us, Anne. It's Arrival. Which has always uh, been... I've always been a believer. I always believed an Evil Enough would be one of the five director nominees, and he did get a a DGA nomination. And Eric Heisser got WGA, and it's on the PGA Top Ten. You know, it's just one of those movies that people weren't fussing over, but it's. I knew it had the depths through the categories that, that it would get all these craft nominations I mean, as well. I remember when we were talking about this movie back at Telluride last fall and how you know we had some issues with it but could appreciate Amy Adams and the craftsmanship behind it. And then we kept coming back to it for a couple of reasons, one of which is Amy Adams and everybody Who's likes strong. her. strong. Good and to go. Also getting attention for multiple movies this season. But the other thing is the movie did really well. People have so much respect for Villeneuve, increasingly so. Now people are already anticipating his Blade Runner sequel. So it's not a surprise that this movie's been in the conversation, but does that make it a real uh, Oscar contender, or does well, it just mean it's going to get some, some really strong uh, nominations? Well, friends? what we're looking at now, I mean, at 5 o'clock today in L.A., um, those ballots are due, and I guess it's 8 o'clock in New York, I guess. Um, if it's the same time. But uh, basically, uh, what are we predicting in terms of the number of nominations? You know, La La Land could get 11 or something, or 9, you know, somewhere in there. And Arrival will be the one right behind it. And and then, you know, all the other movies are much smaller and are going to get fewer nominations. That doesn't mean they're going to win. You know, just because they have the most nominations. That's the thing about the La La Land sort of quote unquote inevitable, uh, inevitable win and all all the things that sweep, people are sweep, predicting sweep. after the uh, <laughs> sweep of the Golden Globes, yeah. record number seven um, wins. Um, you know, the, yes, of course it has momentum, and every you know sometimes these things do become. Uh, self-fulfilling. The, you know, the snowball is going so fast that it cannot be stopped. But I don't know that Manchester or Moonlight couldn't catch up with it. You know? Well, at the very least, I mean, I, I'm super, super skeptical of Manchester above all because it's, I, 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 I talk to a lot more people, not just Academy members, so this isn't, this isn't entirely an empirical analysis, but Manchester is the one that, that it would be shocking to me if it was really the front runner in, in all these categories because outside of Casey Affleck, I hear a lot, a very mixed kinds of reactions. And then Moonlight seems, I just feel like this kind of, even though it's very different from Boyhood, I feel like a, a, a similar kind of vibe where it's like, 
like it's so well respected but it's also the kind of movie where it's it's shocking that it's gotten this far but it's not the same it's not kind of, mainstream yeah it's not a consensus movie la la land seems like a consensus yeah. movie Really? I'm not arguing with that. But I was I'm not also, arguing. I, I was glad to see that you think there's still some fire in the hell or high water uh, machine because that's that's a nice discovery of sorts from last year. Not that you know anybody there in that movie is a newcomer, but it was it was a cool kind of under the radar genre movie when it surfaced at Cannes last May and has consistently been a part of the conversation in more and more interesting ways since then. As no, it's a- in there. I think it's in there. And I think that um, the fact that Garth Davis got a DGA nomination for Lion uh, is a strong indicator of how well that movie's doing and how many people really like it, Well, it's, basically. All, it's, it's basically everything that Weinstein is, is pushing, right? I mean, right. it must be benefiting at least a little bit in that sense that it's, it's their movie this fall. So people are looking at it, but that doesn't mean they're going to like it. And hidden figures and fences are are benefiting from a very, very strong late-year box office surge. So a lot of people have just watched those movies, and they're fresh in their minds. The movie that doesn't seem to have much traction is Silence, the Martin Scorsese movie, which some people were really surprised when he didn't get the... The DGA nomination, I never thought he would, because no, people don't like the movie. No, I mean, it's not It's it's not the kind of disaster in terms of reception. Well, it's a that, uh, failure, well, is no, what it I, is. But I, failure is too strong a word. To, I mean, I, I would say like something like Shutter Island, which I thought was, was a fascinating experiment in many ways. It was, it was one of the, the weaker kind of late periods. Yes, Scorsese agreed. Ever. This one agreed. Is, is, a, is a cut above in terms it's of craftsmanship. It's a beautiful, beautiful, yeah. elegant movie. And I and I admire it for for many reasons. But when I say noble failure, I mean it doesn't work. It's not a successful movie in any way. I mean, I'm not just talking about the box office, which is negligible, but and to be expected that it would be because it's an art film. But but it's but there are too many people who 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 find it impenetrable and painful to watch. So the one thing I would say about the the people who seem to be really in the conversation here is that they all create these really absorbing worlds that you want to be a part of. Even even something like Manchester might be seen as sort of dreary or depressing, but it's consistently engaging in, in, in the sense that, you know, it can be surprisingly funny. There's a real sense of place. Uh, La La Land is a similar kind of thing, you know, this vibrant musical world that, uh, you know, goes from one scene to the next in a seamless fashion. Moonlight's the same kind of thing. So I think that there is something to be said for that, that, you know, voters want something or at least a lot of Traditional movie viewers, I think, want something that that they feel comfortable sitting through from start to finish, not something that portrays, you know, uh, some, uh, an unpleasant existence of some sort. Which is why I think some of the other contenders that may surprise uh, are notable. Something like uh, Nocturnal Animals, which had this kind of hilarious surprise with Aaron Taylor Johnson getting Best Supporting Actor. Nobody even thought he was going to get nominated for that. And then he got nominated by BAFTA yeah. as, as well. So they're not the the crazy Hollywood foreign press are not entirely crazy. I mean that we we've been talking about how that movie is 
kind of a mess in some ways, but then when you really think about it, maybe there's something about it that's a, the opposite, you know, that it's, it's a mess by design, the way that it jumps from this, this uh, imaginary story and the woman who's reading it and plays off of those two things, and, and people seem to be more... Uh, respectful of that conceit than meets the eye. I think it, I still think it's sort of ludicrous, but maybe it's ludicrous in a way that that actually works for people. I'm just sort of I'm I'm surprised. No, but it no, seems that like was always true. There were always big supporters of, of nocturnal animals um, and big detractors. It, that's the thing about that movie. People feel strongly about it, one way or the other, which is a positive in the sense that all you need to get you know a best picture nomination is like 300 people to be putting it at number one you know so you know for all we know uh, there are a couple of movies on the cusp you know that could sneak in you know a lot of people are sort of excited about Deadpool um, which keeps cropping up but, but there's, best picture there's, that would be just a that would be insane <laughs> insane and, and people are making way too much of the fact that it got the first time director nomination from the DGA that doesn't mean anything it means it was a good first time director effort for a movie on that scale that was such a peculiar kind of superhero movie but talk about it the film that divides people I mean it makes uh, I liked Deadpool I think Deadpool's no, I great it. I like it too movie but, it, but it's but, also you know it's so the academy isn't going to go there if, if it got into writing maybe but the thing about that that's in the adapted screenplay category and two of the wga nominated original screenplays are moving over to adapted so that gives it more competition and one of those films is moonlight so Moonlight will ta- definitely take a slot the other Which, one is by loving the way, can i just say about the moonlight thing that is that strikes me as as total BS that Moonlight no, is No, a lot of people were confused about that because it, it was based sense. on a play. It was based on a play that was never performed. I mean, if I... If I that's write... why they put it up. That's why the Writers Guild accepted it as an original. Right. But I see why the uh, Academy would consider it to be adapted. It's adapted from somebody's play. I, I just find that, I mean, it's when, do you, when does something start to become a thing if it's never actually been realized as that thing? You know, it wasn't a published play. It wasn't available I know. anywhere You else. can argue with them, but that's where it is. And then you mentioned then, Loving. Loving so is more about the fact that they lifted so much dialogue from the actual documentary from Nancy Pajerski. So that's why that happened. So and so the, and those are both movies where you could really see them getting some traction in the screenplay categories versus more for Moonlight than Loving. Loving is is a much as I love Loving, it is clearly losing momentum. There's no question about that. You know, it, it had Ruth Nagaj, Joel Edgerton. They're not necessarily getting in there anymore. Well, you I know? mean, as a movie that is very sweet and sentimental and I don't mean that in a negative way I think I like also the way it's very understated why don't you say it's romantic which well, is it is, it is romantic well, it's romantic and sentimental is a negative word. Well, it, it it does have a certain sentiment, certain sentimental tropes that I think are underplayed in nice ways. But the but you know, up against hidden figures, it seems like it's sort of been obscured to some degree. You know, that well, movie. It's very difficult to keep that kind of momentum. And talk about going. sentimental. And people by the way. definitely think it's too long. People think it's too quiet. You know, whatever. Hidden figures isn't nearly as good a movie as loving. You know, no. objectively speaking, she said. <laughs> but I if say, there were I such think, a thing. But, but you know, uh, that's, that's uh, there's a question that Hidden Figures is playing better. 
Yeah, the one, I'm actually shocked about and among these other these other likely or, or films that seem to have a strong chance at Best Picture. I'm I'm sort of surprised there hasn't been a greater conversation about the fact that Hacksaw Ridge is in the conversation as it is. I mean, I. I'm it's well huge, directed. I'm is not the thing. a huge it's, fan of this it, movie, but the I, second I, half of the movie, if you look at the second half of it, is incredibly well mounted in every way, and I think Andrew Garfield's performance will go through. That much will go through, and I think you could see some sound nominations and and maybe editing or something like that. But the test was whether Gibson would get into the DGA, and he didn't. And I don't think he will with the Academy either. It would it would be um, a, a but big the surprise. movie might make it. It's possible that the movie would make it. Yeah. So so in in other words, it's it's not a a major contender, but it's definitely in the conversation for major categories. It's got a shot. But then you have your long shots and something like 20th Century Women. That's not movie, doing as well. But, but it's might do better with like the it. Academy than there, with the other groups. I, I read this extraordinary Tad Friend piece in the New Yorker about Mike Mills, and it made me realize, you know, this is not a kind of esoteric indie director the way he was uh, when he made Beginners. I mean, he really is widely respected by the industry. Not to mention the fact that you know the his lead actress is married to Warren Beatty, who's saying nice things about him in the article. I mean, it just it just seemed to me like you know that this is a movie that is just really well liked, although it hasn't done you know amazingly well uh, while it's been out there. It does seem like there's an awareness. You're not wrong. For it. I'm I'm making a bet that 20th Century Women is is going to do better with the Academy than it's done with some of these other groups. It was also not recognized by BAFTA, you know, and, and the WGA didn't go there. So I'm, I'm assuming it could get in, but it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a long shot right now. I, I guess what's strange to me about that is that you would think that a movie like 20th Century Women would be so well supported, especially because you know, it's got all. It's got so much going for it. Whether it's you know what the movie's about, the world that it creates, the familiar faces, and the way that those things are liked. What what was it about this movie that would hold it back? Whereas you know, Hell or High I'll Water gets so much more traction. All right, so Hell or High Water is a very straightforward, conventional in a way uh, genre film, and and very well done, very well directed. That's a director who could sneak into the directing race. I'm betting that it will be. Garth Davis, by the way, who gets that fifth slot, that it won't be any uh, of these other people we're talking about. But if someone else were to get in there, they do go foreign quite often. And by the way, Garth Davis is Australian. He's not one of us. Um, but but the uh, Scottish director, David McKenzie, could get in there. But, but as opposed to 20th Century Women, 20th Century Women is really very oddly made in, in a, in a non- traditional structural way it with lots of cells of anecdotal pieces of of storytelling and lots of different media all mixed together in this very um patchworky kind of way and i think it's brilliant i think it shows his background as a graphic designer and all and it's a Mike all Mills different movie. things yeah, he's done a consistent vision sure but it's not conventional narrative. But, straight but Moonlight is, is a pretty unorthodox piece of storytelling as well. Each of those triptychs is, is, diff, is, is, is conventional inside. The, the, it's the structure of the three boys being, you know, 
as a, as a whole that is unusual. Where but the storytelling itself is straightforward. In any case, the 20th century woman looks downright conventional when you pair it with Jackie, which is a movie I thought when I saw it. Uh, back in Toronto, just felt like it was one of those exciting crossover points where here's a movie that is, uh, you know, very ambitious in terms of what it's doing narrative-wise and yet seems to play really well to a lot of different sensibilities. Now it's like I'm sort of disappointed in people for not paying closer attention to this movie and, and how sophisticated it is. The, the idea of it being a long shot now is, is, is sort of shocking to me in the same year when people are giving a shot to Moonlight. Um, because uh, even though they're very different, I think they're both, they're, they're both trying things filmically that also uh, open them up to more people. So you still don't think this one's going to be a big player, huh? Well, actually, Pablo Lorraine has a shot at, at, a D, at, at a director's branch nomination because, as I said, they're more sophisticated and more... Foreign they oriented. They go international. I remember when they Michael could. Haneke got a few. And years people ago. really respect and like Pablo Lorraine. Yeah, you and I are part of that group, and we we oh, respect yeah. him a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's um, too bad that Naruto but Jackie's yeah. not mainstream. So I'm not imagining that Jackie's going to get a Best Picture nomination. It'll get Natalie Portman and maybe Pablo Lorraine. Um, maybe costumes, maybe art direction, stuff like that. But but I don't think maybe. Score. I mean, Jackie does have a number of different strong elements that could that that the different branches could reward, but um, it isn't as as accessible to people as Lion or Hidden Figures or Fences or Hell or High Water, uh, which are the ones that are sort of vying for those slots now. Right, and and the idea of accessibility being this. Uh the the barometer for what makes the cut is is, is both frustrating and and predictable i suppose eric 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 there's all if you were to there're 24 branches okay you know and and each one 24 categories 17 i think it's 17 branches and you know, each of them is going to go with what they know and what right. they understand. And, but these and are movie. I mean, movie people varying to... levels of sophistication and size. So the 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 actors are the biggest, with like twelve hundred people, and then you have, and they can be considered mainstream. And then you have all the the crafts, which are pretty sophisticated in 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 and in, in their sensibility. But then you have things like. Um, and then the writers and the directors are the most sophisticated, predictably. And then you have over on, on the other side, the, the executives and, and the publicists. There's a branch, the, the publicists branch. And, and some of them are super sophisticated and some of them aren't, you know? It, it go, it, it cry, it's a huge... Uh, uh, breadth of, of range of people. <laughs> I, I wish we could break this down in some sort of objective metrics, you know, like if, if you could have every, every uh, Oscar... Uh, and producers, voter, there's a know. whole branch of producers. If, if each one of those people could fill out, you know, a list of their top ten movies anonymously and we could feed it into some machine, we could get some better numbers on exactly, you know, which is the most sophisticated branch, quote-unquote. But we're, really what you're talking about is what do people want want to see and what gets them excited? Is it the it's most not, But it's not that things? either. Yeah. It's also who do they hang out with, who do they respect 
uh, collegially in their in their little world. You know, who's the costume designer that that everybody really looks up to? Who's who's you know they know everybody by name. You know which which music composer is is the most impressive. You know. And then they hang out with them at these lunches and these Q and A's, and and they they they, you know, obviously what happened with the Golden Globes back in the day is is, is that Aaron Taylor Johnson spent a whole day wooing them, right. and and they fell for him. I, I thought it was actually kind of fascinating to watch the Golden Globes through the cutaways to the people who didn't win during different award speeches. You know, like to see Damien Chazelle give a speech, and then a cutaway to Kenneth Lonergan, you know, where it's like, Chazelle, I mean, I think he's a super talented young guy, and then you have somebody like Lonergan who's, like, had clashed with the system so much over the years, but this wildly respected writer of sorts, and lose to this newbie, you know, it makes you wonder exactly, you know, how the system works in the sense that it doesn't necessarily reward you for sticking with it all the time. Well, there's a lot of of this push and pull between veteran and and younger. I mean, in a in a way, you could look at it that Kenneth Lonergan is a playwright who's based in New York, which is a relatively small pool of of people. And then he, he, I know New Yorkers think that know, they're right? the center of well, the universe. When was the last time that, 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 that we New Yorkers really got to dominate Oscar season? I feel and, like. Well, of course, as he's your man, he yeah. he is your Been man. A but, but 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 basically. Uh, it's Chazelle who's been living in LA for the last 10 years, you know, and he's actually very popular yeah. and, and he's very respected. He's the young version of Quentin Tarantino or Martin Scorsese. He's the, he's the geek. He's the nerd. He's the guy who loves movies and knows movies and is enthusiastic about them. And, and he's incredibly fun to talk to and, and, and sincere and not at all, uh, Machiavellian, you know, he's 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 very uh, p- um, almost pure. I would say he hasn't been corrupted by the machine yet, so people want to reward him for his purity in some ways. Is that what you're saying? He's still young. <laughs> so then, there's all these other really interesting categories that you know have more to do, I think, with our world throughout the year. For example, the foreign language categories tends to be something that, you know, when we go to festivals like Cannes, we're, we're looking for movies that might wind up being a part of that conversation further down the line. And uh, clearly, Tony Erdman remains the front runner in that category. Is I don't it... think it is. Okay, talk to me about that. because that's I shocking. never, I, I've been thinking more and more that it isn't. A um, man called Uva. That's the one. A surprise <laughs> entry in the, in the, in the fall. It's that, not uh, a surprise. But it I did. Mean, if I, you okay. listen to what people like, I, I mean, and what's likely to play for the, for the whole academy. Now, Tony Erdman will be seen, but I've heard a lot of people didn't get through it when they're watching it at home on their uh, DVRs. You know, it, 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 I mean, excuse me, on their, on their uh, you know what I mean, when they're screening the movie at home sure. on their Home, home screens. It's not that they, they may not make it all the way through. Apparently, which is I've which heard is this over and over again. Because the best parts are in the last act. It but. pays off. Is the point, and you have to get there. And as much, and you know, my 
my evidence seems to indicate that uh, you know my research indicates that the movie may have have been put in by the by the committee. So so we don't know how it's going to play for the wider. Now that may have been true of Son of Saul too, and then it did play for the wider group. Right, and I, I do remember Eda last played year we would for the talk about. Group. I mean, both those those last two movies, Son of Saul and Eda, to win that this prize. I mean, they were seen as sort of the the thing working against them was that they're just so dreary and who wants to sit through that? Whereas Tony Erdman, it's a little more complicated than that in the sense that if you read what it's about, it sounds like a crowd-pleasing father-daughter studio movie or something. And in some ways, it does have those tropes. They say it, they're going to remake it. We yeah. had some fun with that. Yeah, the idea of, of Bill Murray or somebody like that playing this character is actually enticing. Although they should not do that. People should just see the damn movie. Maranat is an amazing filmmaker, and it's, it's crazy. This is their second film. Um, but, hey, if, if it gets in there... It's still a movie no, that people it's, talk it's, about. No, it's going to compete mean, with, with, with Uva, you know. But it's a question of which ones do they actually watch, you know. And, uh, and, and that, that, that'll, that'll tell, the, tell the final tale. Um, I saw for, uh, this movie, Tana, which I don't think will be one of the five. Remember, we still have to get to the five nominations on, on January 24th right. when you and I will be at Sundance plowing the through the snow. It's going to be heaps and heaps. Well, we won't be plowing through the snow in the morning of the nominations because they're coming out at 5.30 a.m. And we will be on duty. We will be on duty. Get, I get to do what, you, what we call analysis while Eric has to do the quickie story about the snubs and surprises. <laughs> well, it allows you to get familiar with what actually made the cut after months of contemplating different possibilities. I remember one year when I thought that James Franco got snubbed for 127 hours, and then someone was like, no, he totally got nominated. I mean, it, it goes by really quickly, and then it's over, and then all of a sudden it's like you have to reassess where things are at, while also still, you know, in my case, playing the role of somebody who's sort of like, well, let's also look at the bigger picture. Although I, I will say that I did, last year, when the nominations were not during Sundance, I missed that feeling of the duality of it, where it's like, on the one hand, you're still talking about award season, and, and, and it's ga ga gathering momentum more than it does at any other point in the year. But then, at the, at the same time, you have to think about all these new movies. And that's one of the things I really like about going to Sundance, is that it kicks off your year by giving you a whole crop of new stuff to talk about. It's impossible, really, to go to a festival like that and not wind up kind of looking ahead to a whole new year and, and all these movies that are going to go you know, you can kind of travel around with. I mean, last year with Manchester, it Manchester was so obvious. Manchester went all the way. Yeah. yeah, no, everybody knew. Everybody knew. But there were a lot of docs, too. That's the thing about Sundance is that the doc side introduces, you know, Gleason, camera person, O.J. Made in America. Um, you know, there, there were, I think Zero Days was Berlin. But Sundance had a huge number yeah, of, of the a, docs. It's a legit platform for, for nonfiction. I mean, the fact that Cameron Person got the reception it did at Sundance, they put it in the New Frontiers section rather than the normal documentary competition or something like that. It really stood out. And, you, and in some ways, you could actually make the argument that that really is what launched that movie into the world so that it wasn't treated as some sort of experimental collage or whatever and, and a serious documentary that's been rewarded by that community. It won the Cinema Eye honors rather than O.J., 
earlier this week, which I yes, was I was notable. very pleased by yeah. that. Um, it's been that. yeah, she's been she's been steady as they go, and I'm sure she'll 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 get in there. Um, but there are a lot of returning filmmakers coming back to Sundance. One of your favorites is going to be there, Alex Ross Perry, and one of my favorites, Jillian Robespierre, is back with Landline. Uh, she had done Obvious Child, and now she's got this uh, sort of New York romance going on with Jenny Slate and actor extraordinaire, star of Transparent, Jay Duplass. <laughs> yeah, those guys are everywhere. It wouldn't be a Sundance without a Duplass brother, you know, hanging out somewhere or another. If not in a movie, then at a party. So it sounds about right. I mean, honestly, yeah, I like Alex Ross Perry's movies. You know, I think that you know, David Wilder is an interesting filmmaker. All these kinds of folks who are kind of in our world who come back with different different movies. Even Matthew Heineman, the, the guy from... Uh, from uh, Cartel Land is back with this this ghost ghost story. Uh, oh, 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 ghost story is, is Laura's movie. And then there's um, the ghost film about Syria. That's a documentary from Matthew Heineman. But the, honestly, to me, what makes a festival like Sundance worth really paying attention to is less as a showcase for these filmmakers or somebody like Miguel Arteta who's been coming back for 20 years even though I'm, I'm really excited I heard good to things about that yeah, I do I do Beatrice you know Beatrice uh, right I, and these things all look interesting to me but really with what with J. Duplass as well <laughs> again he's everywhere parties movies um, but really it's about the movies that come completely out of nowhere not only just because they're surprises but because the people who make them uh, could wind up being the next iteration of some of the other people we were, t- we're talking about here. You know, something ben like- Zeitlin, you know, yeah, the, exactly. the Southern Wild is the sort of classic example of something that came out of nowhere. Exactly. So there's movies that With like... no uh, credibility. Lemon, lemon or uh, Patty Cakes that, that keep coming up in conversation as sort of, you know, are they going to take the festival by the storm? I don't know. But they're, they're, they're movies that, that have the potential to get noticed specifically in this context as part of this festival. And then, you know, continue to be a part of the conversation, not just because, you know, maybe the movie's good or good enough, but because the filmmaker has, has something to offer, a unique vision, a specific kind of voice that hopefully will continue to track and talk about. And then, you know, a, a year later, they do something even bigger. I mean, Mudbound from D. Reese is a movie where it's like a number of years ago, she was a newcomer, and now she's sort of solidifying her status by making a bigger movie. Now, whether or not that movie's any good is a totally separate conversation, but the point is, this is a place where we, we start... Well, we want to see of, her do well uh, yeah. for all sorts of reasons, and, and there it is a title that all the acquisitions executives, all the distribution companies will be there. It's an interesting question, you know, the the landscape has shifted so dramatically in one year where it was a big deal that Amazon got Manchester for $10 million and now it is so established, that company, as a deep-pocketed, effective, theatrically-driven uh, distribution company and, and, you know, is going to be competitive with the likes of Searchlight and Focus and 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 the others who are going to be vying for these movies, Sony Pictures Classics, and so on. So they're trying to. Some of these movies are getting sold early, um, so that they get off the table, so that they don't have to worry about it. Um, 
But it's going to be interesting to see the big sick is the other big yeah, that's acquisition I'm title. Yeah, about that one. Michael Showalter's follow-up to Hello, My Name is Doris. Written by Kumail Nanjiani and his, his wife, who are, are really funny and, and overdue to be, I think, more widely appreciated. So this may be the ideal vessel for them as well. Though I have to say, I mean... You know, it's it's funny to hear about these these people who are rising up in the in the distribution space because there's also people who have been consistently going back to this festival and doing their thing and doing it well for so long. And it's not necessarily that you know all those people are gone so much as that you know the people who really want to go out there and spend big. That aspect of the business keeps evolving as different the, the kind of deep pockets are are in different places. But the landscape isn't necessarily radically different than it was just because there are a few new variables. Like, we may not have been talking about SVOD rights and how selling your streaming rights complicates your theatrical 15 years ago, but we, we still have people talking about theatrical and why it's valuable for a movie and so forth. And I, I, I really enjoy the fact that every time I come back to Sundance, there is a consistency to the conversations where people say, yeah, the, these things are part of the deal now, but we're also still looking at these other things that worked for us before. So, you know, it, we keep going along. It's a, even, in spite of what happened in the election, certain things about our world are still continuing and consistent. There's something very comforting about, you know, diving back into the familiarity of, of, of Sundance. And part of what's the lure is just, the, as you say, the, the potential for discovery, that moment that you're sitting down in a room with a few hundred people who have not seen this movie before and don't know what it's going to be. And it's very exciting. And by the way, I was, I was pleased that Nate Parker got a, a first-time director nomination from the DGA for Birth of a Nation because take everything else away, Birth of a Nation was a beautifully directed first-time feature for him. Well, we're and, on the record as, as having some arguments about that one, but I, but I do understand <laughs> the sentiment. And, um, you know, hopefully this year's big deal at Sundance won't involve some movie that people should have done a quick Google search hey, on. Hey, they, 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 they will be looking into everything a little more carefully little more from carefully. now you know on. What? We should all be looking at things more carefully. So, so next week we'll uh, be plunging into We'll be Sundance. there. Um, in any case, Anne, I will see you on the West Coast where I'll be next week gearing up for Sundance, and then we'll just plunge right into the snow. Mm-hmm.